Dear Lord, make me a nail upon the wall, fastened securely in its place. Then from this thing so common and so small, hang a bright picture of thy face, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus has the answer. We've been studying this week concerning the science of prayer, the ABCs of claiming Bible promises. And then we have observed that as we claim promises for the blessing to loved ones, that they might find the Lord as we have found him, we've been studying how to communicate with dear souls who are in trouble. And we've learned that unless we communicate with them as the Lord communicates, then we're canceling out our prayers. How many here this, at this hour have a burden for certain loved ones? May I see your hands? Good. And those that are viewing the same way. Now, what we present to you tonight is a threefold program, a three-point program of how our Lord himself, when he was on earth, went about blessing people. He, he shows us the way. He says in Matthew, the fourth chapter in the 19th verse, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So friends, the way to help people, the way to win people to the Lord, is to learn how our Lord won people. How did he go about blessing people? What was his ministry like? There are many people in the world today that have many wonderful promotional programs, but man's promotional program for soul winning is not enough. What do you say? We need to learn from the author of all soul winning how to do it. And he has the answer. Three points in his life that are vital to blessing souls and leading them to our Lord. Number one, our Lord's personal prayer life. Any individual who thinks that he can bless other souls and lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ without a personal prayer life is wasting his time. When I was a boy, 16 years of age, my brother Lester was 18, and my brother David, who was 23, were leaving home to go to school, to a boarding school. Father took us up to the old DeRider New York Depot in a horse-drawn carriage. Imagine that. And while we were on our way, about uh, five miles it was from our home to the depot, Father was in deep thought. And I could detect when Father had some very, very earnest things going through his mind. And he, and he weighed his words. He spoke very solemnly. And he said, boys, now you're leaving home. You won't have any parental counsel so many hundred of, hundreds of miles from home. He said, but I would suggest that you would give the Lord one hour every day and this hour will be devoted to meditation, to spiritual reading, and to prayer. He wasn't suggesting that we spend the whole hour on our knees, but that the, 
the hour at the beginning of the day would be spent in meditation, in spiritual reading, and then in prayer. He said, if you do that, I have no fear for your future. You know why? Because we would be drinking in the life of our Lord. And he that has the Son has life, 1 John 5, 12. He that has not the Son has not life. As he was speaking, the Holy Spirit impressed me, Glenn, do it. When we boarded the train, I never asked either one of my brothers what their response was. But I said, Lord, if it'll make that much difference in my life, that problems can be solved, my, what a wonderful reward I'll receive. So I said, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> but I had a problem. Father was only able to give $10 toward my schooling that year, and I took full schoolwork, which meant that I had to work on the farm, for that's the only kind of work I knew to do. I had to work on the farm from 40 to 60 hours every week. Can you figure how much time you'd have even for study for the classes, much less for prayer? I had to be at the farm at 4.30 in the morning. And then when I was back to eat breakfast, immediately it was off to classes, <clears throat> then dinner and back to the farm, only allowing me a couple hours for study for all of that full school work, not nearly enough time for study, much less for prayer. <clears throat> and the Lord impressed me. Why don't you then get up at 3.30 in the morning? I made arrangements with the dean of the boys' dormitory to use the boys' washroom. It had a light. Do you know how much a 16-year-old boy enjoys getting up at uh, 3.30 in the morning? A 16-year-old or a 60-year-old? God helped me to do it. And the Lord gave me a format of prayer and study. I spent about 40 minutes of that hour in reading some spiritual book, Bible-oriented book or the Bible. Then I took an 8.5 by 11 page and made three lists. Nobody suggested it. The Holy Spirit suggested it. One was a list of things for which I was grateful. You know, praise is the better part of prayer. Praise reaches right up and takes the very life of Jesus, and his life saturates the person who is praising him. I made a list of things for which I was grateful. I then made a list of things in my life that need to be strengthened. Then I made a list of souls for whom I was burdened. One of them was one of my brothers who was wandering away from the Lord, Lloyd Kuhn. After I was an ordained minister, it was my privilege to baptize my brother Lloyd, his wife, and son. My friends, that time that I took with the Lord didn't change me from Glenn Kuhn. I was still poor Glenn Kuhn. But I found it supplied the strength, the Lord supplied the strength as I go up the hills of difficulty and trial. The Lord's special power helped me to negotiate the hill. There were young men with me on the farm whom I know were basically better than I. But they didn't have a daddy or a mother to suggest that they would drink into the life of Jesus Christ at the beginning of the day. Consequently, they got in all kinds of trouble. One of the boys milked cows right next to me. He was one of these wonderful boys. 
and we all highly respected him. In those days, when I was a young man, you could more or less gauge a person's Christianity by how platonic his face was. If he looked very sad, you knew he must be a wonderful Christian. If he looked happy, he must be a superficial Christian. This boy looked just right to be a Christian. Brother, did he look, did he look very lovely as a uh, corpse. So I knew he was, had a vital connection with the Lord because he looked so dead. Later we found he was involved in stealing 26 bicycles. Another friend of mine went to the bank and had forged a check for $2,600. Another boy threw a, a rock with a note through a merchant's home demanding so much money. These young men were basically better than I, I'm confident. But my friends, what they didn't know was to have a Christian life, you take time with the Lord of the life. He that has the Son has life. And he who goes through the motions of missionary endeavor is wasting his time, beloved. I want to recommend to you, and I want to ask the Lord, and I've been pleading with him today, <clears throat> that he would bless in this service, that no matter how busy you are, beloved, no matter how much work you have to do, that you'll place your relationship with Jesus Christ in the foreground. And if the devil tells you you can't afford it, claim the promise of Matthew 6:33. Our Lord Jesus said, if you seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, he will add all the temporal things. I know it's true. God helped me with that tremendous amount of work I had to do, physical work, to pass every grade in school. And I have met other men, married with, with large families, who have done the same. They explained that what they did, they claimed God's special guidance. They asked God to work the miracles in their lives. If God will do it for a 16-year-old boy, he will do it for any of us, my friends. Jesus Christ is the miracle worker. He made the world by the breath of his mouth. You and I are to expect miracles from the hand of God when we will snuggle up in the arms of Jesus. And Psalm 1611 says it's not arduous. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Don't get the impression, friends, that when you take an hour with the Lord that it's a yoke of bondage. It's a joy. Two lovers, do they say, my, it's, I'm sorry, I've got to go over and see my lover tonight. Oh, it's going to be such a task. They can hardly wait to get there. It's like the story of Jim. Jim came home from, from work one night completely exhausted. Just slumped down in the chair and they said, Jim, supper will be ready in just a few minutes and we have a wonderful supper. He said, I'm so exhausted, I just can't even, I can't even wash up and change my clothes. I'm just dog tired. They said, but Jim, you love the, the, the meal. He said, I know it, but please pardon me, I just, I'm too tired. And while he was sitting there, a few moments passed, and the telephone rang. His sister answered the phone. Jim, it's Mary. Mary was Jim's girlfriend. It's who? It's Mary. Jim was up like an electric shock. He was there to the telephone. Yes, Mary. Yes. Yes, I'll be right over. 
He changed his clothing like a chain lightning. He started on a run for Mary's house. Couldn't even wait for the bus. That's what love does. He didn't say, have I got to go to see her again? Oh, no, never, because he loved her. When you and I fall in love with our Lord, it'll not be a task to spend time in his presence, for in his presence there's fullness of joy. That's number one. Now, I don't want to put anybody under condemnation tonight. I don't want anybody to promise that you're going to take an hour a day with the Lord. If I ask you to promise it, maybe tomorrow I won't. <laughs> you see? Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he what? Fall. But I am going to ask you solemnly in the presence of the Lord at this hour and those who are viewing, will you study most earnestly? Will you pray most earnestly? Will you ask God to help you to take that time with the Lord? Ask him to work it out for you. That's the least we can do, isn't it? How many would agree to that? May I see your hands? And the viewing audience also, praise the Lord. That's number one in the life of Christ. Mark 1.35, rising up a great while before day, he went out into a solitary place and there prayed, and there was the hiding of his power. Number two in the life of Jesus, to be a, a soul winner. And this very few Christian people know anything about. They don't, never have heard of it, but it is the very basis of soul winning. As we come out from our own fellowship and our meditation and our, and our communion with the Lord, we are human beings. We need the fellowship and the companionship of other human beings. So Jesus laid down rule number two, and it's found in Matthew 18, verse 19 and verse 20. He said, I say unto you, if two of you shall agree on earth, if how many? Two. If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. Jesus Christ revealed that this is the way you work for souls. In the 10th chapter of the book of Luke, he, he chose 70 individuals, and he said, go out two and two. When Jesus was transfigured, he took only three men with him. Matthew 17. When Jesus went into the home of Jairus, whose daughter had died, Jesus only took three with him. When Jesus went into Gethsemane, leading the twelve a certain distance, he only took three into the inner closeness. Jesus has revealed to us that as you go out to win another soul, human fellowship is essential. It's not merely essential to that soul whom you'd like to bless. It's essential for the one that goes to bless him. God has made us social beings. And the Lord has made clear that two and two is the beginning of his pattern, or two or three, or four. My friends, I have found that it's absolutely astonishing what happens when people will do that. My wife and I have been promoting for years prayer groups. This is the second feature in soul winning. First is what? The private prayer life. Secondly, the fellowship circle, fellowship partnership enlarging to a fellowship circle. We suggest that 
two men, two Christian men, will meet once a week. And in our eagerness to encourage and persuade them to use Christ's second point in soul winning, we have for years been giving away a book absolutely free. The one that we're offering this evening at the close of this service is entitled The Science of Prayer. It's a little red book of ten lessons. We can't promise it always to the viewing audience, but we can promise it as long as the supply lasts. Every man that will decide to get a prayer partner, another man, and meet with him once a week may have this book free of charge. They study lesson number one together. They just go through it and read, taking turns reading a little, and then they'll stop after they've read a story. They'll stop and discuss the lesson that they've learned from that story. At the close of each of these lessons are some of the secrets of how to work for another soul that's in trouble. Two ladies in the church meeting once a week for one brief hour. This is the second secret of soul winning. The first, the private prayer life. The second, the fellowship of prayer. Prayer partners. Who couldn't take an hour a week? In fact, the business of the Christian life is soul winning. All the rest is just to make a living so that we can go out and share Jesus Christ. Do you agree? That's Christ's way. Would you like to try it? Some time ago, we were in a church of 600 members. We presented this, and by the way, anyone who would like to have a full explanation of it in the sanctuary here can also receive our free ABC prayer newsletter that covers it in detail. And as long as the supply lasts, those who view it may also receive one. In a church of 600 members, the leaders of the church said, we like it. We can see this is Christ's plan. They started promoting prayer partnerships that would enlarge into a prayer fellowship, a larger number, five or six. Two weeks later, friend, listen to this, two weeks later, some of those leaders came down to another city where we're holding meetings, and they said, you know what has happened in our church of 600 members? In these two weeks, 300 of the 600 are already in prayer fellowships. And they said, we are receiving miracle after miracle from the hand of God. They said, we, an hour wouldn't be enough for us to share with you what the Lord is doing. Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. He was talking about winning another to the Lord. Point three. Point three in the life of Christ. When these two men meet once a week and they've studied the lessons on the new kind of prayer, and something about how to share. The third point is, as they exchange prayer lists, and they find on their prayer list, right in the area where they live, there's a heart in great trouble. What will they do? They'll go to visit that person. Now follow me carefully and pray earnestly, beloved, and you'll find this third point in the life of Christ is as vital as the first two. As these two men go to visit, Maybe Jim, a backslider. Or maybe it's Charles, someone who has never found Jesus, but a friend of theirs. How are they going to visit him? What are they going to do? And you know, my friends, I'm as sure as I'm standing here at this hour 
that tens of thousands of Christians have completely missed the boat of how to work for the, the prayer list. Completely missed the boat. Let me share with you how Jesus did it. Isn't he the way? Isn't he the truth? Isn't he the life? Didn't he say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? That means I will make you successful. Let us notice the very first missionary contact Jesus had in his ministry. It's found in John, the second chapter. <laughs> it just thrills me. Every time I study it, every time I tell about it, it just thrills my soul. Because if we capture the idea of Jesus, something wonderful is going to take place. Jesus, this is found in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Jesus went to a marriage feast. You know, a marriage feast is where a group of people meet, and two of them at least get married. <laughs> and then they have a banquet. Not very complicated, is it? You know, may God help you and me to stop complicating Christianity. Jesus goes to this marriage feast. The feast lasts several days. They think they have enough refreshments for all that have come, but many more came than they had any idea. And in the Orient, if they run out of refreshments, it's most embarrassing. It stands for a lack of hospitality. All at once they realized that they'd run out of wine. And so there was sitting there six stone water pots. And we won't go into all the details, but Jesus said, would you like to fill those up with water? So they filled them up with water. You know about what each one held, about what, how much each one of these water pots held? You suppose a pint? Fifteen gallons. And there's six of them. Ninety gallons. Jesus, right on the spot, made ninety gallons of good, fresh, super malgunctious grape juice. To me, that's tremendous. You know why? Many reasons. One, when Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes, and there were, there were some fragments left, Jesus was so economical that he said to his disciples, do what? <clears throat> Gather up the fragments that nothing be lost. Jesus, who was so economical, still provided 90 gallons of wine for that wedding party. Doesn't that tell you something? This was a missionary work. Why did he do it? He wanted them to know that the Lord is interested in our happiness. And the 11th verse said, this is how he showed forth, he manifested the glory, his glory. What is the Lord's glory? His character. What is the Lord's character? Love. How does he reveal his love? By meeting you and me at our need of happiness. Our Lord is interested in our interests, our happiness. So when these two men go to visit Jim, they don't say, Jim, we wish you'd go to church. That isn't what Jesus did. You don't find one word about his saying, listen, come to the synagogue next Sabbath. He didn't say any such thing. Why should they be interested in being anywhere around a person who is not interested in their happiness, you see? Our Lord in heaven, beloved, is interested in man's happiness. 
away with this philosophy. If you become a Christian, you can't do this, and 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 you can't do this. You say, okay, that's a lot of vomit. My friends, the religion of Jesus Christ is out to make mankind happy. The devil is out to destroy men. Jesus is out to heal men, to bless people. And he meets people, follow me, Jesus meets people at man's conscious need. Their conscious need was what? Grape juice. Now, had I been there before I'd learned about Jesus, since we have been studying and, and teaching and counseling on the home for years and years and years, had I gone there before I learned about how Jesus did it, you know what I'd have tried to have done? I'd tried to have wormed in a little instruction on the home. They're just brand new married. Don't they need to know how to get along? But you know, newly married people are the last people on earth who feel any need. They're already on cloud nine. I remember when I was married, my older brother came to me. He started giving me a little counsel. And I tried to be as kind as I could, but in my heart I was saying, listen, this is my wife, not yours. I'm going to be happy eternally. Please keep that big mouth zipped. I didn't say it, but I thought it. Newlyweds aren't out to ask for, for any counsel at all. Jesus did not give mankind what mankind didn't feel his need of, though he needed it desperately. But you know what they really did need? They needed to know what the Lord is like. Dark was the misconception of the Lord when Jesus was born. The religious people of Jesus' day had pictured God as a stern judge, looking down his long nose, trying to find some reason why he shouldn't bless people or answer people's prayers. They believed that poor people were definitely out of God's grace. Jesus came to show that God wants to meet mankind at mankind's interest and happiness. All right, two of us men are meeting once a week. We studied the little book, The Science of Prayer. We've talked about the lessons we get from it. We may have sung a little chorus. Then we say, let's see. Here are some of the names I'm interested in. My prayer partner said, here are some names I'm interested in, and particularly I'm interested in Jim. Jim has lost his happiness. He hasn't been in church for several months or maybe years. And he said, you know, do you suppose we could go over and, and visit Jim? And I said, how should we go? Well, he said, you know, according to the lessons, Jesus met people at man's conscious need. Let's find out what Jim is interested in. Let us take an interest in Jim's interest. Is he interested in the church? No way. Then we're not going to talk about church. How about that? Jim, maybe his backslidden, and we're not going to say, Jim, Jim, do you realize? <clears throat> we aren't going to do that. We're going to find out what Jim is interested in. <laughs> because unless Jim can capture a picture of the Lord as being interested in him, unless he can realize that God loves him just as he is before he changes it all, that God accepts him right where he is with his love, 
unless he knows that to be the right kind of a God, the true God, why should he be interested in any doctrines? Why should he want to know where heaven is? Who wants to be in heaven with a God that's scolding him? Who wants to be in eternity with a God that's looking down his nose at him? So Jesus was revealing what God is like. God is interested in man. So we say, what, would, what do you suppose Jim might be interested in? Well, Jim is a rock hound. <laughs> and my partner, Jack, says, I don't know anything about rocks. And I say, well, I don't know very much. I've shipped to 12 tons back to Tennessee, but I'm only a pebble pup. I'm not a scientific rock hound. And, uh, and, and Jack says, what can we say to him when we don't understand it? I say, that's the secret. When you go to help somebody, number one, you take an interest in what he's interested in. And number two, instead of telling him things, you ask him. When you ask a person, it shows you're respecting him as knowing more than you do in that area. But when you go to him and you tell him everything and you're a blabber, you're belittling him. Let's not be Christian blabbers. What do you say? So we say, all right, let's go and ask him about rocks. So we come over, we come over to Jim's house, and we knock at the door. And Jim comes to the door, and we say, this is Jack, and my name is Glenn. Jim, we understand, and you know, you know what Jim is saying? I know these guys, they're those religious fanatics, but he tries to act sweet. Jim, we understand that you're a rock hound and that you have a collection of rocks. Jim, we wonder, he said, yeah, yes I do, and he's looking us over. We wondered if, if you would have a little time to show us some of your rocks. Well, yes. And Jim begins to show Jack and me the rocks. And while he's showing us the rocks, we are claiming two promises of the Bible. One promise is for wisdom, James 1.5. Wisdom to do what? Wisdom to let Jim realize that we are not there to preach at him, we're not there to belittle him, we're interested in his interests. We claim another promise for the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will let him realize that God is love, that God is not that stern, overwhelming, sanctimonious belittler. So while one asks Jim a question, the other is claiming the promise that the Holy Spirit will reveal to him what God is like. And all the while <clears throat> that Jim is showing us the rocks, <clears throat> you know what he's thinking about? Of course you know. Let me tell you what Jim is thinking about. You know what he is. He's saying, I know these two people go to church regularly. What do you suppose they've come to see me for? At any minute, the axe is liable to fall. And at any minute, they will start preaching at me. So he said, I'm going to be ready for them. I'll be ready. But as the hour passes, and he tells us all about his rocks, and we ask questions instead of blabbing, he says to himself, what in the world does this mean? I thought the whole group of church people were thinking of me as a guilty, unworthy soul. Why, they're looking up to me. They're respecting me. They're nice to me. And, 
And without his saying it, the thought comes, they represent the Lord. Is the Lord that way? Does the Lord love me after the terrible things I have done? They seem to love me. We represent the Lord, friends. Let's take the interest that our Lord would. And when we're about ready to leave, Jimmy's watching. Now they're going to say, we wish you'd come to church next week. Wouldn't that be the most natural thing? Or he would expect us to say, Jim, just before we leave. And now he said, ah, now it's coming. Just before we leave, Jim, what caused you to backslide? He expects that, but he doesn't get it. He gets the wine of grace as Jesus gave the wine to those people without preaching at them, without belittling them, without urging them, without overpowering them. He showed them what God is like. Don't you want to do that? Praying for the Holy Spirit to sanctify it. Just as we're ready to leave, we say, Jim, do you ever go on field trips? Well, you'd go rock hunting. He said, yes, I'm going next Sunday. We don't want to impose on you, Jim, but <laughs> would we bother you if we went along? He said, no, come ahead. Well, thank you, Jim. So glad to have seen you. And we do not necessarily pray audibly. We're praying all the while inside. You know why we don't necessarily pray audibly? Because Jim believes that when people pray, they're belittling him. And did you know most Christians... <clears throat> when they pray for somebody who has not been in church, you know what kind of a prayer they pray? Lord, help Jim. Help Jim to realize. And they report next week, one missionary visit. They've worked for the Lord like whom? Like the devil. And the next Sunday we go with Jim. <clears throat> we spend the whole day with him. <clears throat> All the while Jim is thinking, when is the blow going to fall? But the blow doesn't fall. But all the while we're praying for the Holy Spirit. Why? So that Jim will realize that true Christianity is interested in the happiness of all of God's creatures. That's God. That is Jesus Christ. That is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not basically theory. It's basically love. And friends, if you and I can make up our minds once and for all to think of soul winning as 95% courtship and 5% instruction, we'll find hundreds of souls crowding in to the fold of Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of professed Christians have the impression that soul winning is to indoctrinate, indoctrinate, indoctrinate. Pour the theory on. My friends, that isn't what Jesus did. At the marriage feast of Cain of Galilee, do you know what prophecy was being fulfilled? The 70 weeks of Daniel 7. Jesus could have said to his mother, when she said they have no wine, he could have said to his mother, listen, mother, there's something a lot more important than that. They need to know the days in which we live. This is the beginning of the 70th week, mother. I must give them a Bible study on prophecy. He didn't do anything of the kind. He met man at man's interest, at man's need, because this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the true God, the only true God, and God is love. One day we visit with Jim. We visit him once a week or so, uh, 
Jim. And one day, maybe six weeks later, Jim says, I'd like to ask you fellas a question. We say, fine. Do you mind telling me how come that you men came to see me? Now, what are we going to do? Are we now going to give him a lot of theory or are we going to give him a lot of love? So we answer in humility something like this. Well, <clears throat> Jim, a few weeks ago, Jack and I decided that we didn't know too much about Christianity. We came to the conclusion that we had misunderstood Christianity. We thought it was a lot of theory. And we came to the conclusion a few weeks ago that true Christianity is fellowship. And so we decided to meet once a week, and we found a little book on a new kind of prayer, how we could enter into a richer fellowship with the Lord and with one another. And we've been meeting for one brief hour once a week for a few weeks. And as we did it, we felt that the religion of Jesus Christ reaches out to fellowship others who may, who may be having some problems. <clears throat> now, right there, be careful. We don't say, Jim, what is your problem? We don't say that. That would belittle him. We say, by the way, Jim, we were wondering, do you have any friend who might be in trouble that you'd like to have us pray for the next time that uh, Jack and I meet? And Jim is liable to say, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, there's Charles. Charles is a very dear friend of mine. Charles is out of work. We say, all right, the next time we meet, Jack and I will remember him in our prayer. And then we may stop. As though we were just thinking. It pays to think, right? And we weigh our words and we say, by the way, uh, Jim, we only meet for about an hour, once a week. Maybe you'd like to meet with us next week and we'd all pray for Charles. And Jim is liable to say what? <clears throat> Oh, thank you. Yes, I'd love to. Then we've got three. <laughs> but if it, Jim doesn't say I'd love to, we don't urge him. Maybe a couple weeks later he said, what did you say about your meeting once a week? And we tell him about it. He said, yes, I would like to. Now we've got three. Now after we meet a couple more weeks, <clears throat> Jim is liable to say, uh, Jack and Glenn, do you know what? I wish that Charles were with us. This would be a tremendous blessing to Charles. We say, how do you think we ought to visit him? And Jim said, listen, fellas, you better be careful how you go to see Charles. If you go and start preaching to Charles, you're going to meet with, with resistance. Had you come to me and started preaching, you think I would have ever paid any attention to you? How do you think we ought to visit him? Well, let's find out what his interest is. Well, Charles is an artist. Well, let's go and visit him, ask him about art. How about that? As we ask him questions, it shows that we respect him. As we ask him questions about his interest, it shows we're interested in his happiness. And all the while we visit him, we're praying for the Holy Spirit that he will see through us what God is like. God is interested in our happiness. Can you say amen? amen? At the proper time, Charles says, yes, I'd like to meet with you. While we two men have now 
increased our membership to four or five or six. Two ladies over here are meeting once a week. Another two ladies and another and another. And men all through our churches. Ladies all through our churches. Two and two are meeting. And they're then, as they study this little book on prayer, and they find a rich fellowship in Jesus, they reach out to somebody in trouble. They meet that person at that person's conscious need or interest. And that tells that person what God is like. Then people are interested in knowing where is heaven. Then they're interested to know what is life all about. And the book tells them. But when they ask, beloved, for a spiritual sandwich, oh, praise the Lord, don't give them a full course meal. If a person asks you a spiritual sandwich, give him just a spiritual sandwich. Don't crowd theory down his throat. Remember that soul winning might be called 95% what? Courtship, fellowship, and 5% instruction. May God forgive his professed children who are out choking people with instruction when we should be sharing with them the love of our Lord. Would you like to try it? This is why we're here, my friends, in this church in Omaha. This is why we're videotaping this message for those who are viewing it. My friends, the light of the knowledge of the love of Jesus Christ can flood our world when Christians will stop this cramming down the throat of so much theory and let people know about the love of God. And then as they ask, little by little, they share with them the little by little, and then they learn where heaven is. They learn where their loved ones who've passed away are as they ask. A little here, a little there. But all the while, the overwhelming thrust of Christianity is the fellowship that God wants to share with us. How many like it? May I see your hands? This is the religion of Jesus Christ. Our Father in heaven, may the viewers of this program <clears throat> at this hour, and may those hundreds who are here in this sanctuary today, listen to that sweet voice of our Lord and determine that we will first take this time with our Lord in this rich fellowship. Then we'll form these little prayer partnerships expanding into prayer fellowship groups and go out and visit men and women who have lost hope or those who may be discouraged or those who have not lost hope or but are having a rough time. Oh, Lord, in the precious name of Jesus, fill us with a burden to bless people. Help us, oh, Lord, to get rid of this selfishness, this exclusiveness that causes us to meet with our own little groups here and there and forgetting the world that is in trouble in these days in which we live, while our heads are bowed in prayer, while our eyes are closed, I'm not going to ask how many are going to take these three steps. I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to ask earnestly and believingly and sympathetically how many would like to give earnest study to it in the name of Jesus. Would you lift your hands, those in the audience and those viewing? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hands down. Did anyone come into this sanctuary? Or is there anyone viewing this program at this hour? You came in without the assurance that Jesus is your Savior. You know how simple it is to find him? He said, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. 
He said, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I will sup with him. My friends, away with this complexity. It's as simple as opening the door to Jesus and letting him be the Lord of our life, the master of our destiny, the savior of our souls. If you came in without a, that assurance and will take it in Jesus and let him in, right now would you lift your hands. Dear Lord, in the precious name of Jesus, we let you in. Come in and sup. May we find that beautiful fellowship and then go out and share it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.